don't look back. You know, I think that's one of the biggest things and it's one of the hardest things to actually put into practice. I mean, I still look back sometimes, you know, like I'll be watching a game, comparing my career to somebody's or, you know, could I, am I as good as this guy? Like, could I play well in that? Man, I wish I'd have been on that defense or, or right. you know, or I regret this or that. Like, it's toxic. I mean, it really is. And, um, you know, when I have a buddy retire, I always text him congratulations, but don't look back because nothing, no amount of thinking or ruminating on your career or how good it was or what you could have done, what you, what you should have done is going to change anything. It's over. Welcome to What's Next with Eric Wood, where we will prepare you to make your what's next in life your best yet. Our next guest is Chris Long, and Chris is a former number two overall draft pick of the Rams, two-time Super Bowl champion, and the winner of the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award, which may be the highest honor in all of the NFL for players. He is the host of the Green Lights podcast that absolutely crushes it. You can check that out on all your major platforms, and he's just an all-around great dude. We are going to have some fun on this one. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you tune in weekly. And also, if you haven't already, please go to Amazon and pre-order my book, Tackle What's Next. And the link to that is in the show notes. Thanks and enjoy. Chris, welcome to the show, brother. He would. You're an author, man. I am an author. I was uh, kind of pressured into doing it. And, you know, as a former NFL guy, you kind of have that imposter syndrome. Like, who am I to write a book? I'm sure you've <laughs> had tons of teammates so have I that you're like, man, Kyle Williams should write a book. Like, I don't know why I should be writing mm -hmm. a book right now. But um, I feel like I've learned so much through having guys on the podcast. And a lot of the book is fueled by that to really yeah. help people through transitions. We're kind of at a unique time in life where so many people are in a transition. So felt like it was an appropriate time to do it. It's the truth. How about us retiring into all that, uh, you know, that upheaval and, and quarantine and all that stuff? I mean, you were a little bit before me, but uh, if you'd have told me we'd had to sit in our house for like a year, our first couple of years out, I would have said we wouldn't have made it. I know, no <laughs> here, doubt about it. Here we are. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's important stuff, man. That's real cool. But I agree, Kyle Williams should write a book. Yeah, I think so, too. He would have a lot of lessons uh, that he could share. He's now coaching high school football down in Louisiana. So he's impacted a bunch of young dudes down there having some fun coaching uh, ball. But, you know, it, going back to the retiring during COVID time, you know, my career ends right before that. You know, 2018 season yeah. was kind of that year. That was my year out before the COVID year. But during that year, the Bills essentially were – I'm not saying they were tanking. They had more dead cap than any team in NFL history because they were unloading guys. So all that being said, I didn't miss that bad of a year in 2018. Then you hop into COVID times and everyone's like, I'm telling you, you, you didn't miss much during that time. And I'm like, well, you, the bills were on. Yeah, if, if you feel better hearing that, that it was, it was like a living hell to like go to work and, you know, every day the tests and I understand why and everything, but it was just a lot. And uh, you know, at the end of the day, it kind of makes it easier to sit at home on the couch and not get FOMO when, when, you know, uh, there's no fans in the stands. I mean, like that was one of the biggest things for me was it eased my transition watching on Sunday and, and seeing that there was really nobody watching like half the reason you play is to get that buzz man from the crowd and the adrenaline. And, you know, uh, you love the game, but the fans are such a big part of it. So that kind of eased the transition for me. I know I was thinking about it though. I was like, 
So for the defensive line, they're feeding off that crowd constantly. I'm like, man, maybe I would have had my best year as a pro. I can make all my calls without there being any crowd noise. The tackles can hear me. I could pick up on everything the defense is saying during each series, go back yeah. to the bench, kind of digest it. I probably know what the defense is doing half the time too. And then mentally, I felt like maybe I could psych myself up more because uh, I, I would always play in pretty well in those meaningless games towards the end of the year when maybe everyone else's emotions were down and I'm <laughs> ripping caffeine before the game and getting myself psyched up. But <laughs> yeah, th that's what I was was telling myself but who knows that if that it's was true. true yeah you guys would have had carte blanche you may or you know here you, you would have been able to make your calls there would have been no silent count right um, and that's what people were worried about with josh allen because his best year was 2019 that was kind of his breakout year 2019 2020 and yeah. so when you have those games without crowd noise they were saying well maybe josh can only operate in a stadium where maybe it's not quite as emotional because he's such an emotional competitive player yeah. And maybe it was just dumbed down enough that Josh Allen can really thrive. So I was so pumped to see him. Oh, yeah. Your last year, too. Yeah, I was at that playoff game, uh, Chiefs and Bills. And uh, I don't know if there's a better quarterback on the planet when he's he's uh, on his game. I know it. And it's and this is crazy to me. And, and I know everyone's story is different. And, you know, from being in an NFL locker room for so long that, you know, there's so many different journeys to the NFL. But you're talking about. Like in the quarterback space, they're so highly anal analyzed from a young age that like nowadays you see the Archie Mannings coming, the Lamar Jacksons, like they win Heismans and all that. Josh Allen goes from no scholarship offers, offers out of high school except for one JUCO to then one scholarship to Wyoming from there, ends up a top 10 pick, and now he's a top one to three quarterback in the NFL. Like that, that kind of blows my mind. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's not just guys like Josh, but it's also these guys that, you know, like we've got a couple – uh, dudes from FCS kind of schools, uh, you know, guys that you hadn't seen play much. It seems to be they're, they're scouring, um, you know, the waiver wire, so to speak, and they're drafting these guys high. Like, they're, you know, they're, they're going places to get quarterbacks now. So I think it's really interesting not only seeing how that position's changing because Josh really embodies that um, mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. I mean, the quarterback run game is a big deal up there. Um, I know as a defender – if I'm playing the Bills, that really slows your pass rush down. Right. Uh, you know, especially some of those stretches last year where they had to manufacture a run game a little bit uh, because you didn't have one out of the backfield as much and he was kind of doing everything. Like, it's amazing what's asked of quarterbacks now. And some of these guys are just incredible and they, they go anywhere to find them. Right. You're exactly right. And it's amazing. They'll go anywhere to find guys at any position group because you yeah. look around an NFL locker room and I always say it ain't Ohio State, Texas, Alabama, USC yeah. across the locker room. It's all different colleges. But let's let's dig in on your story. So you come yeah. out, you're the number two pick in the draft. Did you grow up as a pretty dominant kid in in all sports growing up? Not really. Uh, honestly, I was I was I was a good good athlete but you know um probably a late bloomer a little bit um I wasn't real great at football until probably my junior year or something like that in high school I think my freshman year I, I you know we went to the state championship and and I didn't play a single play I mean you know um and it's not like I went to a 6a school so uh you know I I was all right I was good and then you know around probably 10th grade I really started kicking the high gear started you know um growing into my body a little bit and really working my ass off. I mean, you know, I, I worked as hard as I, I, I'd worked uh, my entire career in high school, uh, you know, to get ready for that for that uh, college transition. I mean, we 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 worked extremely hard. You know, I was a four sport athlete 
Um, not saying I was great at all of them, but I played baseball, basketball, lacrosse, and football. Um, and I think that's another thing is, you know, learning to balance and manage your time, but also playing more sports. Yep. Um, you know, not specializing. I know specialization is important for some guys and, and in some situations, maybe it's, um, it's the right thing. But for me, it was about learning uh, how to pick up new skills in a lot of different areas. And then also, how do you manage your time? Like, you know, basketball practice, then you go in the gym until 830 at night. Uh, and you're a high school kid, you're 16, 17 years old, and you're learning how to work, you're learning how to work, you learn how to put the time in, you learn how to balance. Um, so for me, I wasn't always that dominant. In fact, I wasn't that great at times. And then even uh, going into college, I, I'll never forget my dad. And this isn't disparaging, because I'm, of course, I'm talking to a great NFL guard. Right. But like, my dad was like, you should work on your guard sets, you know, seeing where you're getting some of these offers. I don't know that you're athletic enough. <laughs> I, not in saying so many words. He was like, maybe you should hedge your bets, you know, um, because wow. the Florida states of the world started calling, um, you know, it was a whole new ball game. I thought I was probably going to go a double A school or something like that. And then things just really blew up for me junior year. Wow. Yeah. So everyone knows they've seen your dad on TV. He's a yeah. hall of famer in his own right. I mean, just yeah. a, just an incredible, was there a lot of pressure on you as a kid growing up or how did you all manage that in the household? And I'm not a hall of famer. Yeah. We live in Louisville, Kentucky and my son looks just like me. Like I want, I'm asking this to understand how to manage this myself, even though it's not quite the same scale. Well, no, I mean, it's, listen, we both live in our college towns, I guess. So, right. you know, um, and for me, it's my hometown. Uh, and I did, you know, like I, I grew up with a lot of eyeballs on me, you know, um, and I think that the most important thing about that is you're not easily satisfied, right? I'm still not satisfied. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not sitting here gloating about my career. I'm not sitting here satisfied with it. I mean, I'm, we did some great things, but you know, when your dad's in the hall of fame, it makes it so that nothing you ever do is going to be good enough to people outside yourself. Right. Um, which is not that important. What's important is, uh, is, is, uh, is your standard. Um, and I think eventually you learn how to kind of deal with pressure and, and, and eliminate that noise and try to, and try not to worry about what people are thinking, because, you know, like every step of the way, whether it's in high school, making all County, whether it's in college, getting a scholarship, oh, it's just because of his dad, you know, um, getting drafted high, it's just because of his dad, you know, like there, there's a minority of people that's going to always kind of chirp at you. And then when you get in the league, I mean, you know, you're a high draft pick and your dad's a Hall of Famer. So, you know, that's a lot of pressure. And listen, there, there's a lot of good that goes with that because, you know, I have a guy right at home who understands everything I'm going through. You right. know, everything that I could have possibly encountered at work, he's seen it and more. Um, but what it does is it keeps you grounded and uh, it keeps you so you don't get satisfied. So you don't, you know, success doesn't, it doesn't become complacency because, to me, um, you know, I'm in a household full of NFL players. You know, I got a brother who's a three-time pro bowler. Right. And, you know, an absolute um, gorilla of a human being. Yes, he is. My dad's a Hall of Famer. So I'm the little guy, you know. And uh, and uh, it, it kind of kept me, you know, s scrappy enough and ready to deal with pressure. Uh, and it kind of kept me on my toes. I think it made me better.
Yeah, I would say so. And as long as I always say, as long as that pressure doesn't squash you, as long as it doesn't kill you, that will bring out the best in you. I have a buddy who put his son, who's an excellent golfer, he's an 11 year old, he put him in the 13 to 15 year old um, state am and he competed and did fine, but he's not going to win it. He's just too yeah. young. You know, he's given up. 30% of life to some of these kids. Yeah. And, but, but I said, and that's fine. And that's all well and good. That's great for him to see what it could look like, but not if it crushes his confidence. So you got to manage that with him because he's so used to going out and dominating these 11 year olds. You're so right. I mean, it is a thin line to walk and listen at times, the pressure, you know, the pressure affected me at times, you know, like that's part of learning to deal with pressure is it has to affect you. You know um, if it's not affecting you, it's not enough pressure. Right. <laughs> Uh, and, and, you know, um, you learn how to deal with it. You know, it's a process. Uh, I used to care what people thought. I mean, I, you know, I still care what people think to a degree we all do. Um, but you know, even in, listen, you know, I, I transitioned to the next phase where we're both in the media and that sort of thing. Um, I have to be cognizant of, you know, what I'm doing in the media because, you know, I think there's probably, just like there was when I played out, oh, that's Howie Long's son, you know, in the media, that's going to be Howie Long's son. Um, you know, I'm cognizant of that fact because I'm not going to take a job at Fox. You know, everybody would think that you know, my dad got me that job. Like that's a lot. Last thing I want, what I've always wanted is to do things for myself, you know, to earn my own um, and, and to, to forge my own path. And so, you know, I think it affects positively everything that I do you know, because, uh, everything I'm, I do is shaped by that experience. And, um, and it's a cool experience, man. Like I, I got to see my dad go in the hall of fame, 13 years old, um, you know, getting to see the admiration that people in that Raiders fan base had for him was really cool growing up and continues to be to this day. And then, you know, just, just getting to meet people that were really quality human beings that have succeeded um that were teammates of my dad um and and just having that support system so while it's not going to make a play for you um there are positives where you know if I get home and I need somebody to bitch to that person knows exactly what I'm talking about after a game my dad's going to tell me what I did wrong uh before he tells me what I did right because you know how it is everybody else that's waiting by the bus is going to tell you how great you are and um, and I want it straight, no chaser. And that's kind of like what I can get from my dad. You're absolutely right. Yeah, I was the exact same way. You know, even my wife after games, you played so good. I'm like, yeah, but you don't understand offensive line play. Like, we're, I'm going to have to watch the film before bed because there's a couple that I want back. But, yeah, okay. I, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. And you probably got some great advice heading into the NFL from your dad, from others. One of my favorite things to ask someone who had a career as successful as yours, 11-year career, two Super Bowls, Walter Payton Man of the Year. Pro, when, I, when I say all that, what would be your advice now looking back? If you're entering the NFL now, what would be your advice to those rookies heading in now? Number one, tighten your circle, narrow your focus. Um, you know, the company you keep is, 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 you know, there's all types of sayings about, I'll show you where you're going if, yep. if you know, um, if you show me who you're hanging out with and that sort of thing. You're the but average also, of the five people you spend the most time with. Yes, yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, doing that off the field and eliminating those distractions, um, you know, I don't mean like these things that wouldn't even be distractions to some people, but like, don't worry about the tickets, man. Like, don't worry about, you know, don't worry about keeping this person happy or that person happy, you know, really narrow your focus, 
because to be successful in the NFL, you're going to have to sacrifice things. It's not like, it's not like, uh, you know, one of these things where you can have your cake and eat it too. Like there are things that you and I missed because we poured everything into that game, you know, um, miss missing friends, weddings, you know, not being able to see people, not being able to go places, not as much downtime. And I think just prepare yourself for the constant stress. You know, you have to be somebody who can deal well in a high stress environment because the NFL is a high stress environment. And then, you know, I guess the last thing would be, even if you think you're working hard, somebody's working harder, you know? So never at the end of the day being like, be like, yeah, um, because I busted my ass today, that's going to be enough. Um, There's always somebody working harder and you can never be complacent. And I think um, keeping that perspective and, and it's good. If you, if you, if you're an NFL player, and you walk out of the lock, you walk out of the, the film room at 8 p.m. There's always somebody else walking through that building. You know, you could be there at nine o'clock. You'll pass somebody in the in the driveway. Um, so just know that, like, if you're at home, somebody's at work. You're right. I, uh, I love this story that Rodney Harrison tells about when he joined the Patriots. He walked in one morning. It's about 6.15 a.m. Brady comes up to him. Hey, good afternoon. Good to see you showed up. And he's like, man, 6.15 a.m. is pretty early. And and you might be able to even speak on this playing with Tom. But And then he goes the next day. He's like, all right, I'll get there at 6. Brady gives him the same treatment. 5.45 the next day, same treatment. And then finally he's like, screw you, Tom. I'm not getting here any earlier. you got a lot more on your plate as a quarterback. I don't have to come in here this early, yeah. and I'm not getting here any earlier than 545, so get off my back. But you're, to your point, there's always someone that's going to work a little bit more or harder. And, you know, each position, you know, what does that work look like? It, it you know, looks different for a defensive lineman than it looks for an offensive guard than it does for a quarterback. And so, like, whatever it is that you got to do, and most people know what it is, it's just are they willing to do it? Uh, with consistency that's a big thing like people go through these spurts where it's like I'm gonna I'm gonna do this because I'm chasing a contract or I'm gonna do that because I'm you know because I'm in a good mood and I had a game last week like don't be streaky you know and and uh, when I was a young player I'd be streaky sometimes not with my work ethic but maybe my attitude Um, and and I think as you get older in the league what you realize is that consistency is king And, um, you know, and that doesn't mean you're always going to play well or you're always going to, you know, do the job, do the job 10 out of 10. But what it means is that you're constantly pursuing that nine or 10 out of 10. Um, And and when other people and this is one of my favorite things is you got older and you got and you were really mentally tough and you were a vet is like, especially playing in St. Louis for a long time and losing a lot. You started to look at adversity as as an opportunity. And I think um, I think if you can go into the league and try to stay consistent and work hard and all that stuff, that's one thing. But you're going to see adversity. You're going to see high stress uh, situations. Um, if you can start tricking your brain into thinking when you guys are down by four touchdowns, this is when I could really shine. You know, like having a fucked up mentality like that or when everybody's dragging on a Monday, come in with energy, you know, try to look at those um situations as an opportunity and that'll feed your consistency because being consistent is easy when things are going well you got to trick your mind into something when things aren't going so well because as you know it's stressful after a loss it's stressful when you don't play well um when you're hurt all that stuff so staying consistent is important you got to trick your mind 
Dude, that's so good and so real. I played in the longest playoff drought in all of professional sports at the time. My entire nine years, we played in that drought. We broke it the last year, but that my entire career was that way. And it's funny because as I do speaking gigs now and whatnot, I'll say, look, I played for seven head coaches in nine years. I believe that's an NFL record, two were interims, but that's seven head coaches. Well, part of what I was willing to do was to adapt. And when the new coaching staff came in, I said, I'll learn the offense first. This is an opportunity for me to, to show off some of my skill set. There's going to be guys bigger and faster and stronger, but I'll learn it first. I'll be able to teach guys. I'll be able to stand up at the meeting and lead. And that way I can show my worth with each, each individual staff. And I was the same way, dude. Towards the end of the year, when you're playing another meaningless week 16 game, I didn't play in a meaningful week 17 game until my last year in the NFL. And so I always had meaningless games at the end of the year. And I would tell guys, I'd say, this is the time where you can shine. You can show, one, you can show the organization what you're all about. But two, those guys on the other side of the field, because they're not playing for much either, you could, like, it's hard to put up a highlight reel in the NFL. But if you can get your mind right in those situations, you can really expose someone. And, you know, I try and bring joy to all different situations. And to me, like, that always gave me an opportunity to show up each day when maybe everyone's you know, feeling down and you can't be the dude on a Monday morning after a loss. Like when the coaches all think they're, you know, their stuff's gonna be clear out of the locker. Like you can't show up with a smile on your face, but I can show up and work my tail off yep. and have a work ethic about me where they're like, man, he would is different. And I respect that about him because he's going to show up even if we suck again this year. Yeah. And you know what? Like you can, you can bring a little energy. Like, you, you know, it's kind of that thin line between smiling after a loss on the bus and like actually not just acting like it's a, you know, there's a, a funeral. Um, you know, the sun will come up tomorrow and we got to play football. And by the way, I remember, I think that week 17 game for y'all, was that nine to six Jaguars? Was that the Jaguars game? That was, um, yeah, yeah. Week 17. So that was, we beat the dolphins down there to make the playoffs. Okay. And then we played down there in the playoffs. Yeah. And we lose 10 to three. And we had the ball at the end, and we ended up throwing a pick to uh, Patrick Ramsey. That was Kyle Williams. Uh, remember, yeah, you remember. But me, I was watching just thinking I'm so happy for Kyle. And I think for you, too, because I know you've been there like a lot like me. Like, we just didn't do a lot of winning. And, you know, you get used to – it's funny. And you – like, if you were on the Bills now, you'd be like, damn, people get stressed out easy. You know, I, because because like we've seen like one in 15, two and 14 constantly missing the playoffs. Like you get good at dealing with, you know, when the chips are down, you almost become your best self when the chips are down because that's how you were conditioned. The hard part for me of joining winning teams was having the confidence that it's not a trick. Yeah. you get, You know what I mean? Like or that things are going to go right. And, you know, and sometimes like actually um, you'd have to remind yourself that like you're on a winning team now, you know what I mean? Like everything's not going to go wrong. Um, And I think, I think that's the hard thing for guys that play on bad teams is learning to use your experience losing, not letting it like break you down. You know, people always ask me about 28 to three in that thing with the, with the Super Bowl, with the Falcons and, and, you know, when I was on the Patriots and people are like, what'd you think at halftime? And I'll admit (laughs) after saying all this stay positive stuff, I was like, there's no way we're going to win this game. I've never been down 28 to three as a football player and come back because when I was a Ram uh, and we were struggling, you didn't come back, but everybody in that locker room, I don't want to say everybody, 
they were conditioned to know what winning feels like. So that, so they were expecting, this was the expectation for them as unrealistic as it seemed, but it's really interesting based on how you came up in the NFL, your personality as a player, as a teammate, as a football player can be totally different. And I think, you know, as, as much as you can, you just try to take something from the losing. You're right. And to talk about the Patriots for just a second, what was so much different about their culture? Like, so much is made about the Patriot way, yeah. but that's easy to say when you have Tom Brady. So like, but, but when you enter the building, like what stood out to you the most? Um, there were no windows. <laughs> there, there literally no windows. I mean, I don't think that's part of the Patriot culture, but uh, yeah. I was like, damn, dude, it gets dark pretty early here. I mean, you know how that is in Buffalo. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and there's no sunlight coming in. It's like Fort Knox. Like what kind of secrets are we keeping here? Uh, but honestly, I just really what struck me was the the teammates, man. You mentioned Tom Brady, great teammate, um, you know, uh, and and he gets a lot of credit. But a lot of guys on that Patriots team were some of the best teammates I ever played with and just good guys, like guys that love football um, and they're not robots, you know, the way they're they're purported to be. Not all of them. And uh, and I, I think that's the engine there. And I think that's. You know, the Patriot way is finding the right players and then not being afraid to get rid of the ones who aren't the right players. You know, Bill just draws a hard line on he, these are the kind of guys I want in the, in the, the building. And, you know, he's not going to be about a, a thousand. But when something's not working, um, the, the communication so direct, takes all air out of the situation. You have an opportunity to fix it or you don't and you probably won't be there. And I think Bill's done a great job of keeping it um not impersonal, but, you know, he has a great connection to his players. His players respect him. I respect the hell out of Bill. I still text with Bill a little bit, which is kind of cool. Uh, and it's something I never thought I'd say. But, like, uh, he also keeps that distance between the player and the coach because he knows that, like, if you get too buddy-buddy, it's going to be hard to cut this guy or it's going to mm -hmm. be hard to make the necessary move. And I think the Patriot way is just doing whatever's necessary. Right. You know, it's like there's no consideration of feelings. There's no consideration of, you know, do I know this person? Is this my friend? You just do what you have to do. And uh, and, and I thought that was cool. So the teammates were great. Um, and I thought everything was just about like, you know, the end goal. You know how it is in the NFL. Coaches do a lot of lip service of like, we're going to do what's best for the team. And then they don't. You know, um, yeah. because relationships muddy that or confirmation biases muddy, muddy that or an expectation for what we were going to do. Like the Patriot way is always thought to be so like set in stone. But, you know, this from playing them, the Patriot way to me is being, uh, you know, able to morph into something different depending upon what the mission is. You know what I mean? What the game plan dictates. And they've 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 really siphoned through a lot of different ways of playing over the years. They have, and that's what makes them tough to prepare for. I mean, when I first came in the league, they played a base 3-4 with Vince Wolfork lined up as a nose, and they had 250, 260-pound linebackers, and that has changed over time. But that's all Bill Belichick's defense. You know, he's willing to adapt, which is, is incredible how they've adapted to the times. And I've always been a closet Tom Brady fan, but that's more of just like a genuine <laughs> one. He always treated me so good. Like, I always thought, like, a guy like Tom Brady would speak so down to a 
player of my caliber, just not even have the time for him. Jim Kelly introduced me after a game one time that gave me like a little bit of street cred. Me and Jim's foundations worked together. So we got close up in Buffalo. So that helped. But Tom would always treat me so well. But I always respected a guy that was willing to. You talked about earlier about the sacrifice of missing things. No one's probably missed more. Now, a lot of it's because he's played so dang long. But he has missed more than maybe anybody. And that's meals. That's alcohol. That's everything that he's missed to be the greatest of all time. And personally, I just respect that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, it's a, it's a, it's just a commitment, man. It's just making a decision and, and committing to it. And he's done that for a long time. And, you know, that's what they do up there in New England. It's like, hey, lock the doors. We're going to be your first team meeting. You can feel it. It's like, okay, guys, like, you know, lock the doors. It's time. Like, and, and the expectation is February. You right. know, it's not – I had never been somewhere that we played in a playoff game or thought about the play. I mean, we did briefly think about the playoffs, but um, you know, the things that satisfy other teams just don't satisfy them up there. And um, that's what's going to be interesting for Bill now, you know, because like you said, Tom's not there. And I I think they struggle a little bit this year, Um, you know, and, and, and I think uh, it's going to be a challenge for him and uh you know last last year the year before was a challenge and all that stuff but but i think this year could be interesting yeah i do too you talk about expect having different expectations sean mcdermott comes in in 2017 well every year for the past 17 years you hand out those super bowl ticket forms about two weeks before the end of the season you fill them out and say when you're going to pick them up and all that well they pass out these forms a couple of weeks before the end of the season. Well, we're still in the hunt and we end up making the playoffs and breaking the drought. Sean McDermott got so mad. I don't, I don't know whose fault <laughs> it was that passed them out, but Sean McDermott was like, this goes on here. You know, he pulls me and Kyle okay. aside. Like how long have they been doing this? I'm like, I mean, every year we've been here, they just hand you the form, you know, before the end of the season. He said, that will never happen again. Like yeah. when we lose our last game, yeah. Whether that's the AFC championship or the Super Bowl, or if it's week 17, now 18, no one will ever get a Super Bowl ticket form early. And I, it, it's the little things like that that make it great. Yeah. Year. Yeah. It says everything about the organizational expectation. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's a, it's a speaking and into existence thing. It's like, you know, uh, yeah, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. I know. But like, I, I respected Sean for doing that. And yeah. so, yeah. yeah, no. And you know what? And there they are. I mean, like, they've done a great job acquiring players for sure. I mean, like their talent evaluation has been great, but Sean's done a really good job and they just seem like, like a serious outfit, you know, yeah. like, and I don't mean that in a t- uptight way, but I mean, like, they're just, it's a real competent outfit top to bottom, which yeah. is hard to find in the NFL, you yeah, know? And- their film looks a little different than most teams. Like you got 11 guys hustling the ball on defense. And that's not like a cliche, like in Buffalo, you get ripped the next day. You are in front of the entire team at the team meeting. If you're not, if you're the one loafing, unless it was some heroic effort where someone's hurt and you got hundred percent of the snaps on defense. I remember Sean, we ran a screenplay. It was like going one way, but I was on the other side. And I like just kind of barely jogged the ball. It really didn't matter. And I know he was using me as an example because he knew it wouldn't crush me. But he put me up there and he was like, look at our captain. Like I can, and we ended up, you know, we lost the game. So he's showing a few examples of guys not hustling. He's like, look at our captain right here. And I'm telling you, it crushed me. But you play a little different the next time. And I wasn't about to let it happen again. Bill did that too. You know, like 
And I think that's a, a thing that gets lost a lot in the NFL is like, you know how we break down in different position groups and everybody gets ripped in privacy. Yeah. Among the closest peers who can all identify with, hey, you know, like why that play was so tough to make or maybe why you loaf that one play. You know, everybody was gassed. But like when you do it in front of the entire team, it really does increase the accountability. Something about seeing the guys on offense uh, you know, as you make your mistake on that big giant uh, screen up there in the front of the TV, uh, in front of the, the, the team meeting room, that really, it ups the ante for you. And Bill used to, and the same way you talk about it, like you're one of their best players. So they're going to, they're going to come to you to rip your ass so that, you know, also you're one of their mentally toughest players. You, you, you know, uh, you know, it's not a death sentence for you. Right. It makes the point to everybody else who might be too sensitive to take it. And it's like they're warning, you know yeah. what I mean? And so Bill would get up there and rip Tom. He would rip Jules. Boy, he would rip Jules. <laughs> <laughs> he would rip, you know, Hightower if he had to. But, you know, it was like it was a message to everybody in the room. And I think that's another thing. If you're a young player is learn from other people's mistakes. Hmm because that's an opportunity for you to learn. Um, and, you know, I missed those opportunities when I was young. You know, I might have missed them when I was older. You're not going to bat a thousand, but if you can really key in on, like, what is everybody else getting their ass ripped for? And uh, it's just being resourceful, man. You know, that's what you got to be. Yep, that makes a ton of sense. All right, let's talk a little bit about your transition out of the league now. So everybody's transition is different. But for guys that are either – Longtime CEOs, longtime pastors, anytime you've been doing something for a long time and that's your identity, that's what you're identified as, especially as a pro ball player, it could be tough to transition out. What, what would be advice that you would have for guys as they hit that transition in life? Don't look back. You know, I think that's one of the biggest things and it's one of the hardest things to actually put into practice. I mean, I still look back sometimes, you know, like I'll be watching a game, comparing my career to somebody's or you know, could I, am I as good as this guy? Like, could I play well in that? Man, I wish I'd have been on that defense or, right. you know, or I regret this or that. Like, it's toxic. I mean, it really is. And, um, you know, when I have a buddy retire, I always text him congratulations, but don't look back because mm. nothing, no amount of thinking or ruminating on your career or how good it was or what you could have done, what you, what you should have done is going to change anything. It's over. And it's and and as you sit there and you're thinking about it a year later, it's been over for everybody else but you. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and so the game goes on. There's so many great players. We were lucky to to kind of occupy those seats for a little while and be uh, impactful players in the league. You know, I think you and me had great runs. Like we, you know, I, I feel proud of our, you know, the run I had. I know you should feel super proud of the run you had, but like it's also there's going to be another Eric Wood, another Chris Long. No doubt. <laughs> Only a couple guys that ever played that are irreplaceable. And so just like move on. It's just not – no one cares but you. And that's a harsh thing to, to hear, um, but it's the truth. Like, um, and, and so moving on and then just learning how to be still, man. Like learning how to not – you don't – we are so conditioned um, to – just constantly like when, when there's something wrong, what do you do? You put your head down at work. Yep. You know, you do more, more is more. Like everything was always more is more for us. Um, you know, more hours in the gym, more hours in the film room, more. Well, when you transition out of football, um, it's, you, you realize it's okay to, to, to 
you know, like Paul Rudd said in that, uh, in that movie on the surfboard, I can't remember. <laughs> he said, do less, do less. Like that's what retirement's about. It's like, just sit still and figure out how good you can be at just enjoying your family. Hmm. Um, you know, sit on the porch, <laughs> relax a little bit. I know people have to transition into another career path, but if you don't get good at like just getting comfortable and sitting still, it's going to be hard for you because you're so conditioned to be, you're never at rest as an NFL player. Um, so I'm just trying to enjoy, you know, and learn to enjoy not being under pressure. As crazy as that sounds, we kind of enjoy having that proverbial gun to our head. I mean, like right. that's the way we, we needed something to wake up in fear of every day. And there's nothing to wake up in fear of now. And that's okay. So I think it's just learning how to, how to change your speed. Because even in like business, I think we make too much of, listen, there's a lot of attractive qualities of being a team sports player for your entire life. Like people want to hire us, right? Like for a lot of reasons, we're resilient. We work as teammates well. We're hardworking. Our communication style is very, very direct. Like you can coach us hard. But I also think that like some of our skills that we learn, like that currency is not is not applicable in the business world. Like I, I, I do think it gets a little overrated. We have to learn how to like as a boss now I'm running a business. I can't communicate with my employees the way we would communicate in the locker room. Sometimes more is not more. Sometimes me working 12 hours in a day is not healthy. Right. You know, like, you do have to change the way you operate to excel in this, in this world. It's a totally different world. And I just think like, if you can learn to kind of mimic people and find somebody in the business world or in, you know, in your personal life that you think is successful, it's a totally different skill set than being a football player. And I think that's why guys struggle. You know, it's like, it's, it's not the same. Yep. Yeah. Part of my biggest advice for guys transitioning into the NFL is find someone in the locker room that is where you want to be and figure out what their habits are. And no, you do not have to be them. Don't put your pressure on yourself to be this Hall of Famer that you identify in the locker room that you want to be like. But figure out what he does on a day to day basis. One of the greatest blessings I had early in my career is me and my wife shared a wall of a townhouse, a two unit townhouse with Kyle Williams and his wife. Well, we didn't have kids. Well, I got to see how Kyle treated his wife, his little girls. And so for me, I got that blessing. You know, I saw how he operated at work, but then I got to observe it off the field as well. Yeah. You can find those guys in your community that are doing things, but also have a great home life as well, because we talked about it last week through text message. We often forget, like you mentioned earlier, how much we gave up and missed along our journey in football that now we feel like we need to continue to miss things. We need to continue to grind because yeah. that's so ingrained to do. And then we feel guilty that we can take our kids to school and pick them up. And yeah. when someone asks us at a get together or a golf outing, and I'm speaking from experience, well, what are you doing nowadays? Oh, you only call the bills games and have a podcast. Like, yep, that's it. You know, and I got my foundation. I'm on two boards here, but I don't want to get into all that. It's like, I just say, yeah, I can fill a schedule with the best of them. It's all good. Yeah, you know? yeah, that, that's the truth, man. Like, it really is. There's something to that. And I'm like, you know, some people can't relate to it because they have trouble, like, like they have to be in constant movement. And it's not just football players. Like, I think a lot of people have trouble just sitting still. And I had trouble when I retired, like, you know, hey, take some days off. I just mm -hmm. took my first vacation. I mean, it's a podcast, but we, we do during the season, we're doing 40 hours a week, you know, like we're with three podcasts. We're constantly keeping up with the news, that sort of thing. I'm doing some Amazon on Thursday night, like whatever. That stuff, 
you know, over the course of a couple of years, when you're on all year, I mean, if you don't take any time to yourself, like you're doing yourself a disservice. I took my first vacation of retirement, really, uh, where I didn't do anything for three weeks over the last month. And it just felt great, dude. You come out refreshed. You come out a little bit recharged. Um, and then like, listen, I'm not saying dudes shouldn't come out of retirement and look for that thing that they can transition into. They should. But if you can't figure out how to get, you know, find peace with yourself, because that's a big part of saying goodbye to football and, and just, you know, um, not being afraid of that stillness. Like if you can get through that, then yeah, go hundred miles an hour again. Cause you know, you can sit still and that you are at peace. But like, if you rush right into things, cause you think like, I'm just, I got to do the hamster wheel thing. You're going to burn out because yep. you don't realize how tired you are from that career. Like I'll I, like around August, I'll be watching uh, camp and I'm like, we did that. Right. You know, like, I'm like, we just like right now, the thought of it is so crazy to me, but it was so normal to us. Like I didn't appreciate how hard we worked and the sacrifices we made really until I was out of it. You know, I thought that was just the way things were. Yep is unnatural to grind like that. And so like to come out of it, like it's okay not to grind, you know? Yeah. And you grind like that during the season and that's what's under the lights in nowadays, like, an everyday camera. But for a lot of guys, it's an off season surgery as soon as it's the season ends. And then you're sitting in a training room somewhere, whether that's back home or in your facility for months at a time. And then you just hop right back into it. So you're really not even recharging in a lot, in a lot of cases, you don't even recharge after the season. So uh, that's, that's perfect. And you're, right, not, you're constantly in fear though. You know, you, you like, even in off season, you know, you're off, but there, you know, the closer it gets to the season and you're not off cause you're working your ass off. Like guys, guys work tirelessly now starting in like March, you know, like right. there is no off season. Um, and like you said, some guys might be rehabbing, but it's just that constant, like, that dark cloud of expectation of, of like, is this guy going to take my job? Did I lose it? You know, and that's okay to be afraid of failure. Like, you know, some people say, don't be afraid of failure. That shouldn't motivate you. Screw that, man. You should be afraid. Somebody's going to try to take your job in three months. Like some kid from Sam Houston state, who's 10 years younger than you and is looking good in one-on-one pass rush. And like, you're like, damn, he might be better than me. Like, you should have that attitude. You should yeah. be afraid. And, and it's just that, that all year round mindset that can kind of wear on you. It's nice to not have it. For sure. For sure. All right. Let's talk about your podcast for a second. And I love your podcast because it works in a variety of areas as well. Because for me, like I could have more subscribers if I did an all bills podcast. I know I could. I'd make more money, but that wouldn't pique my interest. I love having people from the bills on, but it's the people from the bills that I know that I can pick their brains and get, I can learn from like this, this podcast is about me learning and giving it's learning. It's my way of serving listeners, but then me as well, selfishly learning from people and I enjoy doing it. But so I love that there's just a wide variety on there. So for you, who would be a dream guest to have on? Oh, Willie Nelson. Uh, So I'm a big Willie fan. I took my kids the other day to uh, a show. That was their first concert. They're six and three. So they got to go see Willie. And uh, I just think it'd be great. Like uh, we like music on the pod. Like we, everybody likes music, but um, you know, he, he'd be one for me. Um, but it's, it's the coolest part is, as you said, it's not people in your wheelhouse. You're right. You know, like I, I, I really am into, you know, we had an astronaut on recently. Like I, 
you know, and hey, your listenership kind of learns to roll with the punches. You yeah. know, hey, someday you might be wondering what's going on at Bill's camp, but I might have somebody who's not even a football guest today. And 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 also, like you said, like it's fun to to cover all the teams. It's a real challenge. Like yep. I'm finally settling into the place where I'm like, okay, I know what I can replace my grind with, which is just really um, what I've been doing over the last couple couple years, which is trying to learn football in every corner of like because. When we play, our, our focus is so narrow. You know, we don't know what's going on around the league. We know who we're getting ready to play, what those people look like on all 22. But you don't follow the league like some of these fans follow the league. Right. So, so for me, it's the challenge of can I really have a handle on everything, uh, which I don't all the time. And there's things I miss and screw up and there's bad takes. But um, as long as you're working hard to, like, put something behind what you're saying. Like, I think people appreciate you taking a shot. Yeah, for sure. To your point, my brother would always text me like, oh, you all are playing so-and-so. This dude's been killing it. I'm like, I have no idea who that is, but I know the only reason you know is because you play fantasy football. So like, he may not even be that good. He just, you know, gets five catches a game from the slot and he's your third receiver. So in a (laughs) PPR league, he's doing all right. So. Hey, and, and, uh, you know, it's, it's just, these football fans are really smart. You can't fool them. You know, they, they really do know the game in and out, but it's like that top hundred players thing. You know, somebody's like, Hey, isn't that like, what do you think of that? I'm like, I've never seen somebody vote on that. And also people don't even know how to vote on the pro bowl. Like players get the pro bowl sheet and they're like, who's that guy? And somebody's like in the back is like, Hey, write him down. Like that's how things are decided. We don't know what's going on. Right. We know what's going on right six inches in front of our face. The next opponent, the guy you're the tackle, the three technique, you know, you want to know what the what the Mike linebacker, what his tells are and that sort of thing. But do you know how, I don't know, uh, the, the third receiver plays on the other team? Like, you don't know that or maybe, you know, so it's it's we just don't know as much as these fans. And it's a real challenge to try to catch up to them. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right. I got a few recurring questions for you and we'll get you out of here. Number one, do you have a favorite book? Who oh, man. <sighs> the Giving Tree. Mm. Yeah, yeah. As you can tell, I haven't read a lot of books. No, I would say uh, probably The Giving Tree. Uh, and as an adult, I really like the, the, uh, the book Tribe. Uh, that's a real good one. And Sapiens is really good, too. If yeah. you've read Sapiens, that's a super interesting book. Very interesting. Very yeah. interesting. You're a very introspective guy, so I'm interested to hear this from you. What role does your faith play in your life? So for me, um, faith is humility. Now, I'm not like a, you know, uh, um, I know everybody's different. I'm not a huge organized religion guy, but I believe in a higher power. I do. Um, You know, I think what it does is allow you to be humble and realize how small you are. Mm. Um, You know, and how small your problems are sometimes you know, that somebody, somebody made this whole thing. And, uh, it's just, it's just, uh, to wake up every day and, and be like, I was born here. You know, I was born, um, you know, this time in history, you know, uh, I get to walk outside and, and, and look at the mountains and, and get to go hiking or sit by a river. Like it's a miracle, you know, it's all an absolute miracle that we're even here. And, you know, I think, People can disagree on, 
you know, why or who made it, but um, something made it, somebody made it. And, and that makes me pretty small. <laughs> no doubt about it. What was your first car? Like not car you purchased the first car when you were 16 or 17. Oh, so the, uh, the first car I had an F-150 for a year. Uh, and then for my 18th birthday, um, my parents got me a Bronco, uh, a 1996 and I still have it. And it has uh, 55,000 miles on it. So I drive it in the summer. When I'm in Montana with the top down, I take the top off. And uh, and that that car is in its prime, dude. Like, you know, for a, car, a truck that was bought for me in 2003, that thing's in its prime in 2022. And those things are selling for a ton online right now. I just got, it must have been from a conversation that I was having. And I got a targeted Instagram ad for like this uh refurbished bronco so i click on the ad they wanted 250 grand for it i'm like whoa Ooh, that's, uh, that's that must have been, yeah that must have been one of those uh the old ones right because yeah uh, super yeah. super old perfectly fixed up some kind of crazy engine in it but yeah so, don't, was, do it, so don't do it uh because i had a 69 bronco and those things are tiny and i actually sold it to jay cutler uh through kyle so kyle uh kind of kind of helped me on that one and then kyle like a dummy bought a 69 bronco and he looks like a mario kart character in that thing like his, his head sticking out the top like up above the yeah it's like he's just too big for it and uh you can see it whenever a big guy buys an old bronco like you can see it on their face the first couple times they're so psyched and then like you'll see them drive by later and they just like they, they're struggling to get in and out of it and you can <laughs> see when they're about to sell it and that's what happened to me yeah all right so i'll go 90s all right what's your favorite restaurant Ooh, favorite restaurant mm. I guess I guess it's got to be a chain, huh? No. Oh, okay. Damn, that's a good one. I'm a huge Grubhub guy, man. I've become yeah. such a homebody. It's like I forgot about you know. Uh, oh, I love what the hell's the name of that place? It's a dumpling place, Hakkasan, dude. They have it in Vegas and they yeah. have it in like Miami. I'll just throw that one out there. The last great restaurant I went to was Hakkasan. I love that place. Nice. All right, last one for me. This is what's next with Eric Wood. What's next for Chris Long? What's coming down the line for you? Man, I'm just excited just grinding on this podcast. You know, got my brother Kyle coming to work with me. Um, you know, one of my old teammates, Bo Allen. Um, if you remember Bo. like Bo's incredible. And yeah. he just he just retired. Yeah. We've, been, we've been messaging. Yeah. We got to get you on. You, you me, and Bo shooting the you-know-what because he's going to start doing some stuff with us and – so it's just like building out the faults. It feels like when you're a player and you you show up and you've got all your vitamins and you have all your you're like my locker is going to be so organized this year. Like yeah. I'm going to do things this way, that way. You know, as a professional now, learning how to do this, like we get better every year. I'm excited about the fall. I'm excited to be like, how good can I be this fall? How on top of things can I be? Um, how can I be in a routine? Because you know we need that. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's it. It's just, I'm looking at the fall and I'm excited, man. This, this football season is going to be fun. Well, I'm looking forward to following it. Um, everyone go check out green lights, uh, support the water boys foundation, um, plug that real quick for us. Yeah, no question. Yeah. So, um, I started this, uh, foundation probably with Chris Long foundation, like six, seven years ago, we started water boys and water boys is, uh, is, is a way that we deliver water to people who need it. In short, I mean, like, we work in East Africa. 
Um, we, we work domestically. We've done wells in Tanzania. We've done wells in West Virginia. Um, in, in East Africa, we do large solar powered wells that serve communities up to five to 7,000 people. And, uh, you know, the lack of access to clean water is such a huge problem, not just around the world in developing countries um, where it's really dire, um, but in, in the United States as well. There are a couple million people with uh, without access to clean water, which is just it's it's criminal. You know, um, are you familiar with uh, Scott Harrison? Who runs yeah, I know that. yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe have him on your podcast sometime. I've just recorded with him. It hasn't released yet. Fascinating guy. You know, he's a. Forbes, 40 under 40 type guy, yeah. top 30 impact, really, really sharp. As we are, as you and I are. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, think, I think next year we'll be on that list. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But um, Scott's doing incredible things with this company called Charity Water, or Foundation. Charity Water, yeah. Water, and and yeah. they're making big impact. So I got to learn a ton about it. And man, uh, completely heartbreaking when you consider that there's uh, one in six people around the world right now that do not have access to clean water. And when those areas don't have access to clean water, one, they're literally dying daily, main, mainly kids. Kids. The immune system can't do it. And then the women and children are the ones that have to go out and get the water. So then they don't get schooling. So then it's this uh, poverty cycle that can never end. It's a cycle. And like you said, I mean, no matter what you're passionate about, whether you're passionate about getting kids in school, whether you're passionate about improving a, a local economy, um, whether you're, and you should be passionate about, uh, you know, eliminating the cause of death that, that's so prevalent in East Africa, which is waterborne illness. It could be diarrhea that could kill a kid. I mean, um, it, you know, Giardia for sure. And, um, you know, all this stuff, it kind of compounds. And you talked about it's a women's issue for sure, because women, uh, they bear the burden of going to, you know, gather this water. Um, and these are dangerous tracks, man. Um, so and they're all day and it just... It's just such a stifling thing. Even if it wasn't killing people, it would stifle communities. And, um, you know, it, it, unfortunately, we have work to do here domestically as well. And, you know, every year we do a, a conquering Kili uh, climb, which is basically the reason I got into this whole thing was I went over to climb Kilimanjaro, um, which is in the East African mountain in Tanzania in like 2000. And I want to say 13. So golly, it's been a long time, but um, I went with a guy named James Hall. You remember James Hall? He's yeah. a defensive, really good player, played in Detroit for a long time uh, and came home with an appreciation for what we're talking about and uh, started taking vets and players up Kelly. So we have veterans, a lot of them wounded. Um, you know, we, we have like uh, amputees summit, this 19,000 foot mountain. We had a, my buddy Ivan's completely blind. He summited, uh, and wow. then there's like guys like Haloti Nada, who just happens to be 360 pounds. He retired on top of the mountain. So uh, we do a lot uh, in that space, including, you know, having fun and climbing mountains and that sort of thing. So one year, maybe you join us one year. Let's go. I'm in. All right, bro. <laughs> I'm in. I appreciate that. I appreciate your time. Keep doing your thing. You've been um, someone who I could always look up to from afar. Um, and that's no BS there, man. I've My always bro. The way you handle yourself, I got to play with Kyle at the pod uh, at the Pro Bowl. We had yeah. a actually have a helmet of his signed over here yeah. in my, my downstairs office. So, anyways, brother, loved having you on. Thank you for the conversation. He would much respect, dude, as a player and as a dude. Yeah, likewise, brother. All right, man. Thank you. 
Thanks for tuning in to this episode presented as always by Punched Energy Chews. If you haven't already, please leave a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast. Share it on social media as well, and we will share it too. I would also love it if you could pre-order my book, Tackle What's Next. It's on Amazon and the link to do that is in the show notes. Let's keep making our what's next in life our best yet.